So the, the kind of little mini-series we're doing is how we ought to live. We began to think about that last week. We thought about words. And uh, I'm just going to read the passage uh, that we read uh, last week. It's in Matthew chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 15. I'll just give you a minute to look that up. So we began to think about uh, how we ought to live. And ought's an interesting word. It's something that we really must do. Uh, But often the the oughts in life, the things that we ought to do, are sometimes the things that it's most difficult to do. And so I am so glad that I'm a Christian. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is living in me because he gives me the ability to do the oughts that I can't in my own strength do. And so last week we began to think about how we should use words, the importance of words in particular, uh, how we should act when our brother sins against us. And we began to focus in on this verse. Let me read it. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And really we're focusing on the first part of this. If your brother sins against you, the first part of this is that we go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And that's what we're focusing on. And that's what we're thinking about how we use our words in this particular context. So last week we thought about the spoken word. We thought about the written word, whether you write a letter or whether you use social media, emails or texts the latter being far too easy to communicate quickly with and uh, realize that you've maybe said something you shouldn't have. We thought about gossip and how it can be disguised. We thought about husbands and wives and confidentiality. We considered Jesus' words in the Sermon of the Mount, which we read in Matthew 5, 21 to 26. We considered the need to speak truthfully. And we thought about facing up to situations rather than the two options which we considered. One, to ignore problems, because we all know that when we ignore problems, they don't go away. When we ignore problems, they have a tendency to get bigger. Option two, to talk with like-minded people, both of which are easy options, but not necessarily the right options. They are the easy path, but not the right path. And my encouragement was to confront situations directly, but one-on-one and with love. Because words are powerful. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Our words can bring life, peace, and healing, or they can bring destruction and death. And I'm not talking about necessarily physical, but you can destroy somebody with your words. We can also build somebody up with our words. And as a minister, I need to take the words which I say very seriously because we have in Assemblies of God a code of ethics for minister, for ministers. And woven into that code of ethics are how we should use our words. Listen to this. 
This is what I have to sign up to. I will be truthful in my speech, never plagiarizing another's work, exaggerating the facts, abusing personal experiences, or communicating gossip. I've got to sign up to that. So if I fall short, like I said last week, start forming a queue here, and if you need to, go up that aisle, and if you need to, go along the back, okay? This is what we're held to account as ministers. In my pastoral counseling, I will maintain appropriate confidentiality, except in cases where disclosure is necessary to prevent harm to persons and or is required by law. I will refrain from speaking disparagingly about uh, the person or work of any other minister, especially my predecessor, who was on television this week, Jamie Dodger, or successor. Isn't it interesting? I need to start thinking about who's going to be filling this role in the years when I need to stand back from it. I need to be thinking about my successor. I need to be thinking about how I'm going to encourage my successor and bring them on. And each of these different things in the code of ethics have implications. They have implications for me. They have implications for all of us, though, because as Christians, we are called to a high standard. We're not called to deal with issues and problems the way that other people do. We're called to account to a higher standard. Here's what the Bible says. We read some passages about words last week. And uh, there's some more here as Paul advises young men under his apostolic leadership. Titus 1.10 talks about uh, there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Then he goes on to say to Timothy, some have wandered away from these. And what's he talking about? He's talking about sound doctrines, love, a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Again to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Listen to this verse too, to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. Then into Ephesians, where we're encouraged to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. These are tough things to do. This is why we need, I think, the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to do the things that we ought to to do, because our inclination as people, or maybe it's just me, is that we want to do things in our own way, in the easy path, and take the easy route down the river, okay, meandering on. There's one thing about young people, they're more likely to speak their mind. Aren't you guys more likely to speak your mind and say, this is the way it is, right? <laughs> the older we get, Sometimes we tend to go, oh, we'll just be a wee bit more cautious and we'll go around that way and around that way. But we're encouraged to face up to situations, to face things that we are confronted by. And that's what we're going to consider today. I said that last week was the theory and today is the practice. So what I'm going to encourage us to think about is how to face our situations 
and hopefully my clicker works. And uh, I want to use FACE as an acronym to think about three things. Facts get mixed with feelings. Also that we need to acknowledge that there's a problem. We also need to be prepared to change and we also need to be prepared to embrace the situation. I'm going to start off with this thing about facts and how facts get mixed with feelings. It says in verse 15 in the passage that we read, if your brother sins against you through words or actions, whatever it is in whatever way, and we need to recognize that there is a fact of sin. Something has happened. What is this thing which has happened? What are the facts of the situation? We also need to realize that that will have an effect on us. When we have been sinned against, it has an effect on us. When we have sinned against someone else, it has an effect on them and on us. So there's the effect. But we also need to recognize that sin has consequences and they can be wide-ranging. Have you ever heard someone saying, you just need to face the facts? Or talking about the hard, cold facts. I, I even said this week, facts are your friends. Facts are your friends. We might not always like the facts, but we need to know the facts. We need to know what's real and what's not real. We need to know what's uh, factual and what is just our perception, because our perceptions can change based on the way that we feel. If someone has sinned against us, we have to deal with the facts. The problem is we don't always want to face facts, particularly when we think that we might be in the wrong. And sometimes we are in the wrong. However, it's not just about facts. We need to be real because we're not simply rational, logical beings. We're not computers that deal in ones and zeros. I'm looking at an IT technician up the back who knows what I'm talking about. It's just a, a bunch of ones and zeros. It's the, the order of those ones and zeros that's important. But God has created us not just to be logical beings, but to be feeling beings, people who have emotions. And we really need to remember that. And when we think about phrases like the cold hard facts, let's think about the effect that even those words have on us. Cold. What does the word cold do to you when we think about maybe speaking to somebody else? Do we want to speak to somebody in a cold way, in a factual way? Well, this is how it is. And I don't care whether you like it or not. This is the way it is. Conflict. I don't want to have somebody come and speak to me in that way. If I've done something wrong, we need to remember that we're emotional beings as well. But we also need to remember that sometimes we might not have the facts. I remember coming, somebody coming and speaking to me in the recent past, a number of years ago, with a situation about something that was happening, and this person was saying such and such in your church. And uh, the person had the facts wrong because the person that they were talking about didn't come to this church. I'm like, so... Somewhere along the line, you've got your facts wrong. Now, did I just go, no, 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 you got that wrong? I said, actually, uh, let me just tell you about this situation because that person that you're speaking about isn't actually part of the church. And you're welcome to come up and see what happens in the church if you want. You're more than welcome to come. Uh, we meet at Sunday at 11 o'clock. How do, how do we want to be corrected? And we need to think about that. It's quite feasible to go to someone and say, this is how you made me feel. 
However, discussions that involve feelings, and there are many who know me well, and know that I am a feelings-based person, and I tend to get quite passion, passionate about uh, things when my feelings get roused up. But we also need to concentrate on the facts of what actually happened, what was actually said, and being mindful of other people's feelings and how things are being received. Not to acknowledge our feelings and our emotions is a mistake. If you're a person who doesn't acknowledge the emotions and feelings of other people, maybe there's an area where empathy uh, needs to be developed in your life. Verse 15 says, Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And remember that at this stage, it's just between two people. It's a conversation between two people. Proverbs 26, 7 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. I would rather my friends come and said to me, by the way, this is an issue, and allow me to deal with that, because I know that my friends will say it in a way that I can receive it. Secondly, to acknowledge that there's a problem. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And one of the most difficult things to do is to listen objectively, especially in a conflict situation. But if we're willing to listen, to learn, even to be wrong, then we may find that the whole thing is more bearable. Notice that it says that you've won your brother over, not you've won over your brother. Ha, 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 I'm right and you're wrong. I don't want people to speak like that to me, so I wouldn't speak like that to someone else. The only way to win an interrelational conflict, I think, is when both people win. We need to understand this. Even if we need to accept a difficult truth, uh, we need to be in a place where we're looking for both people to win. See, we're designed to live in relationship, and our attitude should be, when you win, I win. But really, it's not about winning. I think that's the way the world... um, and I've been challenged in this before as well in my interpersonal relationships, let me say, which is why I say these things. It's not about winning. Even if you feel you're in the right, something has still gone wrong somewhere if someone has had to come and speak with you. But it's also worth mentioning in a conflict situation that actually we may both have a problem, but it might just be different. And I'm going to put up an image which will illustrate my point. Sometimes we both have an issue or a problem. And we're maybe looking at it from different perspectives. Look at this image and see if you get it. Do you get the image? (coughs) The guy in the island is shouting out, yeah, there's a boat coming. And the guy in the boat's like, yeah, land. I've been stuck at sea for three months. Sometimes it's about our perspective on things. Maybe actually you're the solution to somebody else's problem. Maybe you have whatever is needed for somebody else. But we need to be prepared to change. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm skipping on in my notes here. Maybe you are the answer to somebody else's problem. Point three. Be prepared to change. If he listens to you, you've, you've won your brother over. Being prepared to change our minds is is a difficult thing. And uh, I remember Bono talking uh, many years ago in an interview about uh, a time when he was younger, when he was more changeable. And I thought, I understand that. Sometimes when we're younger, we're more pliable, our minds are more pliable, uh, we're more open to seeing things from different points of view. 
sometimes as we grow older, we kind of get narrower and we think this is the way it is and my way's right and your way's wrong. Well, maybe that's not the case. Maybe we need to be prepared to change. It might be that somebody just have has another point of view. Um, and so we sometimes need to look for that because sometimes there are more things that bring us together that unite us than there are which divide us. And so there are different perspectives. Who's right and who's wrong? Stephen, I, I saw this image in your notes that which Mary had. Um, I'm going to use it because I thought it was really cool. Who's right and who's wrong? It's number six. No, it's no. It's number nine. You're an idiot. How can you say it's a nine? It's clearly a six. No, you're the idiot. It's clearly a nine. Look at where I'm standing here. Look at that. That's a nine. No, it's definitely a six. Well, actually, they're both right. But they're just seeing things from different perspectives. Now, there are, don't get me wrong here. There are some things which are wrong and some things which are right. And we, we can understand that from what the Bible says very often. But there are some things where it's just we're seeing things from a different perspective. And what we need to be able to do, if we use that illustration there, we need to be able to move from where we're standing and come round the other side and have a look at it and go, oh, I see what you're saying. That's a six, but come have a look at it for this perspective. And you go, oh, right. Now I see what you were saying. And there needs to be a willingness for us to move and see the other person's perspective. It's so difficult to do sometimes. Are you prepared to move and see the other person's perspective? Lastly, we need to embrace the situation. Embrace means to accept willingly and enthusiastically. That's quite hard to do, isn't it? There's absolutely no point in sticking your head in the sand, as the saying goes, as somebody has come and they have something that they need to discuss. Embracing the truth of the situation is important. Asking ourselves, what can we learn from this situation? Even the most difficult situation. And this may be difficult, but it is how we grow. And uh, we grow through difficulties and trials and tribulations, and there are things which create, uh, uh, cause character to be developed within us. We also need to learn to embrace uh, the brother or sister, uh, remembering that this is a person who God loves. Just as God loves me, God loves the other person. And so we need to embrace the brother or sister, maybe not physically. Uh, not all of us are into hugs, by the way, just making that point, okay? <laughs> Some of us are non-huggy people, okay? I am not a huggy person, just so that you know, okay? Some people are huggy, that's fine. Go and gather over in that corner with all the other huggy people, okay? <laughs> and you can, do all your, you can do all your huggy things up that corner, and all us non-huggy people will be down in this corner doing our non-huggy things, okay? Just a, just a little point. We, we see things from different perspectives sometimes, eh? All right, okay, the huggy people. And the non-huggy people is like... Whoa, get out of my bubble. <laughs> You're in my space. But we need to embrace our brother and sister. Um, even if they've done something that's wronged us and wronged, uh, we, we feel we've been wronged. Um, 
God loves each of us, and we need to remember that. I, I think about this often when it comes to when you're, you're, you're kind of, there's a bit of jarring with somebody. I need to remember God loves that person. God loves me. God loves us all. And I sometimes wonder if he's kind of like our, our dad and he just wants to grab our heads and go, get that sorted. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I wanted to consider just briefly uh, rules of diplomacy, which uh, I have tried to apply to an interpersonal uh, context. And it's always good to use diplomacy in difficult situations. Uh, so we need to be realistic. What do we expect to come out of this situation? Be realistic. This conversation that we're going to have, what are we expecting to come out of this conversation? Well, I'm going to make sure that you come round to my point of view at whatever cost. Maybe that's not a realistic uh, outcome. Be careful about what you say. Think about what you plan to say. Think about how it will be received. Think about how you would like to be spoken to if the roles were reversed. And remember that words have a way of coming back to us, even years later. And I remember Mary teaching me stuff on this uh, many, many years ago. And it was kind of along the lines of watch what you say as you're going along. Watch what you say on the way up because you might have to eat your words on the way back down. Um, we need to be careful about what we say because um, sometimes we can regret things that we've said. Try to find common with other people. We need to look for areas that we agree on. But in order to do that, we need to be flexible and willing to look Understand the other side as much as is possible. You know, there's a saying which I came across, there's your opinion, then there's my opinion, and then there's the truth. And sometimes the truth is somewhere between the two opinions. Not always, but sometimes. Be patient. Sometimes people need, to t need time to come round to another point of view. And it takes courage and humility to change. Give room and allow time for that to happen. Do you want the people closest to you to be patient with you. Yeah. <laughs> I want the people closest to me to be patient with me, and they really need to be patient sometimes. Therefore, we need to be patient with others. We need to give other people that space and that grace. And lastly, on this point, leave avenues of retreat open. What will you do if you corner an animal? Or what will happen to you if you corner an animal? If you corner a dog and you give it no way of escape or a fox or something like that, what's it going to do? It's going to go... <laughs> give people room to maneuver. None of us like being backed into a corner. And when we get into the corner, we become defensive. And I think personally this is one of the most important rules of di diplomacy. It gives other people space, room to move even to back down and to apologize. And when it comes to disputes within the church, remember that it's not about who wins and who loses. If we have that mentality in the church, then we're on the wrong track. It's not about I have won over my brother. Not won over him, but won him over. That's what we're looking for. And just a few keys uh, uh, in relation to all of this that I wanted to just draw our attention to. The first one, uh, if we're wanting to be successful in this, is, is that we must learn to wrestle with God and not with people. And even in this, we need to be careful. When it comes to wrestling with God, we're talking about wrestling with God in prayer. 
Um, I personally have difficulty with people shouting at God. I understand that when we're in a difficult place, and, and I've been in a, a place myself where I have prayed difficult prayers to God, and sometimes uh, sometimes what has, has come out of my own heart is, is I think looking back sometimes irreverent. I think sometimes we forget that when we come to prayer, we're talking to the creator of the whole world. We're talking to the person who created us, who knows us intimately. The Bible tells us that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. We're coming to a God who loves us, and we don't need to shout at him. So in our wrestling with God, I think we need to be respectful to God. God actually knows your heart already. God knows the situation, and God knows all the dynamics, the other people that he loves as well. And so in a wrestling with God, let's remember to pray for the person, not about the person. And don't talk to people if you've not spoken to God first. Don't just launch in without having prayed first. Secondly, be at peace in your own heart and trust God. The Bible encourages us as much as it is possible to be at peace with all men, to be at peace with ourselves, to let the peace of God rule in our heart. And if you're not at peace, then you need to seek to come to a place of peace before you speak. And there's a, a, an, an example in Scripture. I'm going to read Psalm 106, 32, 33. And it says this, by the waters of Meribah, this is the children of Israel, it says that they angered the Lord and trouble came to Moses because of them. For they rebelled against the Spirit of God and rash words came from Moses. Rash words came from Moses' lips. You see, Moses wasn't in a place of peace. The people had been grumbling again that they had no water. They were in the desert they saw no hope. They were thinking about why they were there. Would it not have been better if we were back in Egypt? And on the previous occasion where this had happened, God had instructed Moses to strike a rock and that water would come out and the people would be able to drink. But then the same situation happens again where the people don't have water. Let me read this. It's in Numbers chapter 20, verses 6 through to 12. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Will, uh, you will bring water out uh, of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him, and he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen to this, talk about being a diplomat, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? <laughs> then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. Problem solved? Not really. 
But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. Instead of obeying God and speaking to the rock, Moses struck the rock. And I think there can be times where we strike the rock rather than be obedient to what God is saying that we should do. Sometimes we get exasperated and we just do things in our own strength and we strike the rock, figuratively speaking. God still worked in the situation. The needs of the people were still met, but there were consequences of disobeying God. And there's always consequences to sin. Be patient in your heart and trust God. Thirdly, maintain a humble spirit. If you decide you need to face something with a person, then you must act with humility. Because the reality is that each of us are fallen creatures. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, God's perfect standard. Every single one of us. But we're fallen creatures that have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves this world, and God has the best plan for each of us. We're all fallen creatures. We're all dependent on his grace. And I think sometimes about that saying, there but for the grace of God go I. I have been so challenged in this as I have looked at different things in recent times, looked at people and situations and what was happening, and I think there, but for the grace of God, what would I have done had I been in that situation? And that's a sobering thought. There, but for the grace of God, go I. And the last thing that I'll say on this whole issue of humility is that there's only one person ever qualified to utter these words. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Only one person ever was qualified to say that line. And he stopped the people in their tracks because they had to face the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And yet his grace comes and enables us to stand firm, to stand upon a rock, as we sung about this morning. Be honest in the situation. Be completely honest. If we need to face things together, there needs to be honesty. Remember who the father of lies is? The father of lies is Satan, the devil. And that's where all lies come from. So we need to be honest. We need to have courage. If you can't say something face to face in love, don't say it at all. To face anything with another person takes courage. And there is no guarantee that they will see your point or see where you're coming from or even continue in relationship with you going forward. Sometimes it's an awfully big risk that we take when we want to face something with another person. Our prayer should always be that relationship is restored, but it's not always restored. And I think for Christians, this isn't in my notes, for Christians, 
We are not given a choice in this. So if you love the Lord Jesus, if you call him your Lord and Savior, we do not have a choice in this. We don't have that luxury. And I, I look at what's happened in churches over the years and I think, wow, how's God going to sort all this out when we get to heaven? How's he going to sort all this out? Because it'll need to be sorted out. Because heaven's not a place where this stuff can be. So it will need to get sorted out. And you may be unlucky enough to be living next door to me in heaven. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we better get things just cleared up just now, okay? <laughs> it takes courage to face up to situations, to face things together. And lastly, on this point, we need to learn when not to speak. Not everything needs to be said. Don't say things when you're angry. Don't say things when you're in a bad mood. Because we always will say the wrong thing. If we're angry and we're in a bad mood, we will never get it right. And don't say something if you feel God is actually trying to say something to you. Very easy to say, this is the advice that you should listen to. I am the wise one. You are the person who ought to be listening. And this is my advice, young Padwan. Sometimes God's actually trying to speak to us. And we're so busy thinking about the other person that we're missing what he's trying to say to us in the situation, even in difficult situations. When it comes to interpersonal stuff, it's difficult because we're all different. We all say that we believe in Jesus. We all say that we believe in the Bible. We all say that we share the same values. Why is it that Christians disagree so much? And I can never understand that. Surely it should be really simple. I want to get back to being 10. Everything was simple when you were 10. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. He loves you as well. Let's all have a party. <laughs> but then you've got to grow up. And you realize that people are different. We have different perspectives and things. Some of us are seeing nines. And some of us are seeing sixes. It's like, what's happening? Why do we all have to be so different? Can we all just be the same? And get on, love each other, wear flowers. <laughs> okay, I draw the line at the flowers, okay? But to face up to these things takes courage. I, I really think it's so important that we grasp this because there will be occasions where I sin against you and there will be occasions where you sin against me, where we sin against each other. And I'm almost certain that most of the times we don't mean it. It's because we're fallen creatures. Sometimes we say things when we don't mean to. Sometimes we say things and we wish we hadn't said them. Sometimes we do things and we wish we hadn't done them. And we wish we could rewind the clock and go back and do things differently. We need to remember also that the enemy, his purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. It's his purpose to try and as much as possible thwart the plans of God for your life, for my life, for this church, for the churches in this town, for the churches across West Lothian. He wants to hold the work back. But what does the Bible say? It said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And at that 
happens when we get real about all this stuff and when we are able to deal with this stuff together and be prepared sometimes to put our differences aside. Maybe for some of us, we need to repent of some things, things that we've said, things that we've done, perhaps said in haste or in anger. And I'm almost certain that each of us, over the course of our lives, will have to wrestle with these issues. The sooner we get them settled in our hearts, the better. This is the way that God wants us to deal with things. This is the way that God wants us to interact. And that's only the, that's only the first phrase in the sentence. When I went on to saying, if he doesn't listen, take along a witness, or take it to the church, we haven't even began to consider those things yet. We've just talked about interpersonal stuff so far. God is able to help us in every situation. And so let's remember to turn to him. Let's also remember the last thing I'm going to say on this is that we keep our spirits right before other people. Always, 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 always. I guarantee you that this will make the difference between success and failure. Whether or not you're prepared to keep your spirit right before other people and before God. It makes the difference in churches. It makes the difference in families. It makes the difference in our own spiritual, emotional well-being is to keep our spirits right before God and before others. Let's just pray as we finish off this part of the service tonight, today. Father, your word is always intended to bring life to us. Bringing life might be that something which is unhealthy needs to get cut off from our lives. But Father, the intention of your word is always to bring life. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life in all its fullness. Father, we thank you for his example, his sinless example. Father, we thank you for the way that he lived his life as an example for us, the way that he dealt with difficult situations, difficult people, dealt with the Pharisees, dealt with his disciples. But Father, always with love and always with the intent that people would gather to you. Even, even Israel, as he looked over Israel, he said how he would just want to gather them like a, a hen gathers chicks under its wings. And, and Father, the accusation against them was that they would not. And Father, today you want to draw us into that place of relationship, that place of wholeness, that place of healing, that place of love, Father, that place where we are under the, the shadow of your protection. And Father, sometimes, sometimes the accusation can be made against us that we don't want to be there through our own choices and our own determination to our own way. But Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and show us that you have a way that will lead us to life, that will lead us to health, that will lead us to wholeness. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to walk that path. Father, help us to be people who are honest and humble, but also courageous. Father, may we speak the truth in love, always. And Father, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts. Father, protecting each one of us, protecting our families, 
protecting this fellowship and protecting the witness to your name in this town and the surrounding villages. Father, may the name of Jesus be lifted up. May you be glorified because all of this at the end of the day is about you and for you. It's for your glory. And Father, we pray that our lives would bring glory to you. In every situation, Father, may our lives bring glory to you. And so, Father, we praise you. We thank you. We acknowledge how great you are. And Father, we acknowledge how privileged we are to be in your family. And Father, we just ask that you come and that you meet us in this place. If there are things which we need to sort out, may we be listening to your Holy Spirit and may we be obedient to your voice. Give us ears to really listen to what your Holy Spirit would say. Not just to listen to our own thoughts and opinions, but to what your Holy Spirit would say. And Holy Spirit, we pray, come and bring revelation in our hearts. Open our eyes in areas where our eyes have been darkened, where we have chosen not to look. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and may we walk as free men and free women. Father, may we walk as sons and daughters of the living God, being able to hold our high, heads high against he who would bring accusation against the church. Father, may our lives be a testament to you, bringing glory to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.